Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and, and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. Tonight, we're just going to lean in. We're in faith, love, hope season. And what I want to do is actually want to talk about what the heck money has to do with faith. Um, because faith, love, hope season, it would make sense uh, for us to talk about faith dares to believe. That seems like a spiritual activity, like daring to believe. Like you can, we can put that in the faith box, in the church box. Hope, I get it. It does shout that you have a future. That seems to fit in the church box too. Um, why do we give an offering in reflection to this? Like, what, what is the purpose of money during this season? Because uh, I'm not sure whether you've been on the news in the last few years, uh, but the church and money publicly are a bit of an interesting conversation. Um, 60 Minutes seems to have a fun old time, and uh, through different things, and uh, you may have heard the church is just after your money. Uh, you may have been exposed to like Ned Flanders' ideas of Christianity and money and this culture. And man, that church talks too much about money. Um, you've heard these things. Um, why, why is it so dark? No, that's separate. Um, <laughs> shouldn't they be preaching more things? like what's in the Bible, uh, I want to talk about a biblical understanding of money. What does money mean in the Bible? Because money is everywhere in the Bible. And uh, if you're new to this place or you're new to faith or you just need a refresher course, I would encourage you just to open your heart and uh, there will be points during this message that maybe are like little pain points, little exposure sites for maybe uh, where we need to open our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister. Uh, because the reason that we do weekly tithe is because our hearts need it. I'm not sure about you, but the allurement of, uh, and the, the opportunity for money to take a hold of my heart is so quick and so easy that I need that weekly opportunity to sacrifice it at the altar of my Father. And uh, so we're going to lean on to that. Now, I would like to say that in history, things like money and power and stuff have been abused by the church, but I would like to put, take a pin in that because I uh, and reflect on a, a, a quote by um, Augustine. It says, you cannot judge a philosophy by its abuse. You cannot judge a philosophy by its abuse. That's right, we're going church fathers tonight. And, um, <laughs> and uh, the idea that we go, well, didn't the church? Maybe. I'm not sure about you or me, I'm, I'm pretty imperfect. And uh, the, the nature of the church is we're imperfect people serving an imperfect God. I mean, a perfect God. Man, that was terrible theology for a second. <laughs> Let's just flip that and uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> but tonight, the statement that I want to wrap around and our idea of what does, it, what does money have to do with faith is this. An act of finance can lead your heart, reflect your response, and pioneer possible. So an act of finance can lead your heart, reflect your response, and pioneer possible. 
And as I said, I pray that you open your heart and uh, it may cost you some things tonight. Uh, hearing the gospel is free, but discipleship costs quite a lot. And uh, it will cost you lack. It will cost you self-reliance. Uh, it will cost you your comfort zones uh, because where we're going, only faith is the currency. Um, and so what we're delving into is really just, we are leaning into what does faith, uh, what is a biblical idea. And so my first point, which I said in the statement is that an act of finance can actually lead your heart. An act of finance can lead your heart. In Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, this is Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount. says, Don't keep hoarding for yourself earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasure for yourself that cannot be stolen, that will never rust, decay, or lose its value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Your heart will always pursue what you value is your treasure. So when we talk about finance as an act of leading your heart, is sometimes an act can lead our faith. Um, we, talk, we often get this sense that shouldn't my uh, faith lead my actions? And sometimes that is the case. But I would like to also offer the alternative saying that sometimes our acts can lead our faith. Um, like sometimes I don't feel like coming to somewhere or sometimes you may not feel like going and talking to that person at work about faith or you feel uncomfortable, but sometimes you need to do it and let your faith follow your action. And so when we're talking about the idea that it can lead our faith is in this scripture, Jesus says that whatever um, we value, whatever we treasure, that's where our heart's going to pursue and follow. And so it's very easy then to determine what we, what, where our heart is, because I'd ask you the question, what does your bank account look like? What does your schedule look like? Where are you investing your time? Like if, I love the very challenging reflection of if God had your schedule this week, what would change? And you're like, oh no, <laughs> I'm so messed up. Um, Jesus save me. And it's the same thing. It's if, if you're doing a monthly back bank recon, and you look at your spending categories, does a percentage of that reflect every aspect of your value system and what you actually invest into? Because as I said, the allurement of money is so quick and so easy. In our Hebrews 13 verses five and six, it says that keep, <laughs> every time, <no. laughs> um, Oh, uh, so much, yeah. You, you know when you hit like a roadblock? Yeah. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. <laughs> uh, Friday night, that was just so jarring. You could hear where the Redcliffe guys were. Uh, <laughs> and 400 young people, you hear this. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I appreciate it, guys. I got 15 minutes. So <laughs> Hebrews 13. Pause for a second. On Friday night, we saw over 40 salvations. And uh, we had 400 young people from across North Brisbane, uh, actually from our Moreton Bay region, that's not even in the north. Uh, we actually had a separate uh, undivided event over at uh, Bridgie Baptist that had about the same quantity. Um, over the two nights, we've actually seen over 100 people uh, ride those salvation cards out. And, um, and then uh, we also did an activation moment where we sort of said, hey, young people, 
it's time to time to move and uh, we sort of about, saw about 40 more people just go, I'm on the move now. I feel the Spirit calling me and guiding me. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verses 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do for me? Do to me. Those two things are referring to different Old Testament scriptures. And I think it actually reflects two of the fears that are often associated with uh, sort of the, the other side of not trusting God with our money. Because when we don't trust God with our money, we're trusting in our money for our money. And uh, the fear that often comes around our heart around finance is uh, just faith in the wrong God. I'm, I'm now turning my faith from God's provision and God's ability and God's faithfulness now to the, the very comings and goings of the faith of a money. And uh, that's where we see it. And so the two fears that I see outlined here is God will not look after me. I have to make it work for myself. Is this idea that I am alone and I have to make my own way. So fear number one and fear number two is what I am facing is too big and my situation too dire for me to give. I do simply not have anything to spare. And so these two reflections here, we actually see the two counter-truths that in this scripture reflect and sort of say, God says, I understand the heart. I understand the fear. Let me give you some anchor points that you can cling and tether your heart to. So in all the when the fear comes, let me give you something to hope in. And it says that first truth, the, the lie is, let's remind ourselves, God will not look after me. I have to make a way for myself. Reflective truth is God is with me at all times and in all things. He is a good God that knows how to give good gifts to his children. Or as Pastor Carolina said last week, I am self-sufficient in his sufficiency. And so where my fear has come in and says that I am alone, the reflective truth, the combatant truth is that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Even in the midst of lack, in the midst of confrontation of maybe a lack of a way, lack of hope, lack of money, God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The second lie was that I am face, what I'm facing is too big and my situation too dire for me to give. I simply do not have anything to spare. And the second truth in combat to this is he is a limitless, all-powerful, ever-loving, always-giving God, and I will not be afraid. Let us take a moment to reflect on those two things. The lie is focused on the lack that is in your circumstance, your situation, or in your perception of it. The truth is in his limitlessness, his all-powerfulness. I'm not sure if you've noticed something in Genesis 1, it didn't say God tried to create, checked his bank account and went, sorry, I'm shortchanged. He says, go, be created. Darkness, here's light. There was, there was no wait period, there was no limbo, there was no delay, there was no limitation to his ability. The words created. And so in this sense of lack and fear that can often grip our hearts around finance, there's this sense of, I understand money, I understand bank account, I understand maybe fear, what you're trying to tell me, but let me tell you about my Jesus. My God is able. 
He is limitless, and He is a good Father that knows how to give good gifts to His children. And sometimes the act of giving and leading our heart will push us past that, that anchor point of saying, I'm going to sit in the fear into the faith zone. Um, I, I spent about six months overseas uh, during a study period, and uh, when I came back, uh, evidently, not being in the country means I didn't have a job. Wow! Um, and so when I came back, no work, and uh, after spending six months overseas, Denmark's expensive. <laughs> Less expensive than Norway, but still, Denmark is expensive. The Danish krona and the Australian dollar were not good friends at the time, and uh, so when I came back, you know I needed some work. And you know what? It's so easy. I felt the tentacles of fear start to come. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, fear, but uh, I see what I have in my bank account. Jesus, let me actually, I know my tithe is usually 10%. I actually want to give you more this week because I need to lead my heart with an action that will guide my faith. There's just something that we can do with our finance, and active finance can actually lead our faith, and the tithe is actually a constant opportunity for reliance on Him rather than reliance on money. Are you with me? So it does not matter what lack is in front of you, God is able. And so an act of finance can lead your heart, it can reflect your response, and it can pioneer possible. Reflect your response. There's two stories that I want to outline here, um, but in our faith, love, hope statements, you know, faith dares to believe, giving is the action of love, and uh, hope shouts you have a future. Thank you, I was pausing for a second. Um, but giving is the action of love. This is, this is really what it comes down to. When you love someone, the gift that you give them is not costing you much. Like, I, I've done some stairs recently, carrying my wife up the stairs when she's overtired. And though it might be painful for my legs in those moments, it does not cost me anything because I'm in love with my wife and know that she needs to get to bed. And um, the two paragraphs and two uh, passages that I want to outline here reflect this response of the heart in, as a gratitude response and that as a reflection of our finance action. So in Mark 14, we, I won't go into the full story here. We will get into the next one, though, for the sake of time. Mark 14, we see this story where Jesus is reclined at the table. And uh, this is shortly before when he gets crucified. And uh, so there's this lady that comes, and she wants to worship her king. She has been led by the Spirit to come to him and to offer him something of thanks and gratitude. And it is in the form of uh, what is called the alabaster jar or some perfume. And in this story, we, we find out that this alabaster jar of perfume is worth about an, an annum's worth of wage. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the going minimum wage was during near ancient Near East, during Jesus' time, uh, but it's still a lot. Um, like, say, say average, I think Australian average is somewhere around that 60, 65,000 um, per annum. Uh, maybe I'm otherwise just pulling that out of the air. Don't take me as truth. <laughs> I was trained in marketing, not finance. And um, that's like, take it as $65,000 worth of perfume that she just offers at Jesus' feet and worships him and or uses her hair just to, to cleanse his feet and um, in anticipation for this burial process. And the people in the room sort of try and rebuke her and Jesus says, no. 
And he celebrates her. He celebrates the gift. He celebrates the heart. He celebrates the woman and says, anywhere that the gospel goes, the story of this woman will also be told. Let's fast uh, rewind a couple of chapters to Mark 12, where we see Jesus just being like nosy. Let's forsake this. And, and Jesus 12 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in a large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, excited by this act, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she... She gave out of her poverty, putting in everything that she had. The idea that giving and the act of finance is a reflection of our heart pulls out two things that I want to quickly hit on is that it's not quantity focused and it is not cost focused. So now what we see here is that the not quantity focus is the, we're literally talking like cents compared to like $65,000. And Jesus does not see quantity at all. He goes, I'm looking straight past whatever you gave me. And I'm looking at the heart. Because isn't that what Jesus did? He looked straight past the cross. Straight past the cr cost of the cross. And he looked straight at you and said, that's worth it. He looked at the heart. He looked at the moment. So looking past the quantity thing. That's why when we're talking about faith, love, hope, we're not saying we want you to give x y and z we're actually saying give something that you feel glorifies god and your reflection and your worship of him if that's a few cents bless you celebrate the fact that your faith and your joining you're worshiping your king if that's sixty-five thousand dollars, please don't deposit perfume uh, awesome we bless you because you're worshiping your king in a way that's glorifying him in your heart. It's actually a reflection of your response to your king and your father. And it's this gratitude, it's this love. And in the same, we, we don't see it as a cost focus either. Because cost looks at what's going out rather than who we're giving to. There would be like, if I'm, you, we, we talk about, hey, new people, we would love to give you a coffee. Wouldn't it be weird for us to go, that cost us $5, guys? And like really focusing on the cost that we, wouldn't that negate the whole purpose of generosity? No, we're, we don't care about the $5. We care about the connection. And so when we're talking about this idea of I'm not cost focused, what we're doing is we're not talking about what we lose. We're talking about what we gain. We're not talking about what we give. We're talking about what we're giving to. And so this mentality of response of the heart towards the Father is it's not quantity both, um, based in which it doesn't matter how much you give as long as you're giving gratitude and glory. Um, and it's also not cost focused. So it's not like I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. It, it, it's whatever you have, glorify God with your giving. Whatever you have, glorify God in your giving. Cost focus generally reduces the size of our God down to our bank account. But it's about just saying, God, I'm going to worship you with whatever I have. Second Corinthians 8 verses 12 says this, for if there is willingness there, the gift is acceptable. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Check this, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. 
So it doesn't mean, oh man, I would have loved to have. It doesn't matter the, the ifs or the lack or the, com- do not compare your giving compared to someone else's giving. That's why Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So you can't glorify yourself, nor can you compare yourself. And so there's this reflection here and just, Jesus was, as I said, the great vision of this. For the vision and the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He looked at you and he thought you worth it. So when we look at the seed and generations to come, we look at what can come through a season like faith, love, hope. Wouldn't it be just fantastic to not be going, man, it's about whatever quantity I'm giving, it's about what I'm giving to. And uh, focusing in on there, that is why giving is the action of love. It's a motivated response or motivated response that reflects a heart of gratitude. Pioneer possible. So if the act of finance leads your heart, it reflects your response and it pioneers what is possible. The, um, we mentioned youth camp. Youth camp is incredible. Not because we're having a good old time and we do some mad games and all that sort of stuff, but I'll tell you the stories that come out of youth camp are incredible. I've, I, I talked about this on Friday night to the young people, but my first encounter meeting Jesus, not just hearing about Jesus, came at a youth camp. There's a... Uh, there was a young man a couple of years ago that came to a youth camp. He was like totally on the edge of our community. You know how people sort of, it's a friend of a friend of a friend of mine, you know, that situation. And uh, he's a bit edgy. He was getting into some interesting things. Um, uh, you can let your mind go wherever you want. And, uh, but his friend, his, sorry, a friend's mum dobbed him in and sponsored him to go to youth camp. And you know what she called me, she said, he's edgy. Um, You'll probably need to check if he goes near anyone's backpacks. Uh, You can do the math. Um, He probably doesn't even want to come. I'm like, sick, send him. Uh, So he jumps on the bus on youth camp day, totally sponsored by this mum. And uh, it is this young guy, no concept of Christianity, no concept of Jesus, comes and he's witnessing these hardcore mosh pits. And uh, he is just absolutely having his little mind blown that Christians can jump up and down and mosh. And um, then it comes to the prayer moment and he's just watching. You know when you can tell God's doing something in someone's heart because their eyes look like they've seen a ghost and they're just going, here's this, he's, he's quite a small guy, he's like 13, 14, he's sitting on the edge of the the mosh pit as people are worshiping, as people are getting prayed for, and his eyes are just bugging out of his head in just awe of what's going on. So then he comes up to me a little bit later. We'd uh, done some big games, and apparently someone had dislocated their shoulder, um, but not told anyone. Good times. Uh, and then we got to the mosh, and sort of we had to call the ambulance, all that sort of stuff. So he sees the ambulance coming, and the paramedics hop out of the van and start tending to this, to this kid who's dislocated his shoulder. What does he say? Hey, Cam, can we go pray for that guy? I'm sorry. Where were you two weeks ago? Did you just ask me whether we could go pray for the... Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go pray for him. Let's not get in the way of the paramedics, uh, but let's go pray for this kid. And so we'd go do that. Then at the baptisms, um, we were part of leading that moment. And so I had like my phone, wallet and keys and stuff, all the things that I shouldn't give this kid. And I'm like, I've, I've seen this kid. I've seen him sort of something spark in him. So I'm like, hey, man, come. You protect my stuff um, from the other people trying to rob me. And, um, and he goes, okay, 
text my staff and I'm like, this may be a bad choice, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, take a game. And so I go and we're a part of that moment, baptizing young people to come back. It starts to rain. And I didn't even have to go to him. He comes to me and says, hey, man, here's your stuff. I kept it dry, protected it. He'd taken off his jumper and wrapped my stuff in his jumper. Um, and why? Because one mum said, I'm going to pioneer something possible for this kid. And I'd love to tell you that he's walking with Christ passionately, but I can't because he's gone and doing some other interesting things now. But I tell you what, no one will shake the seed that is deposited in his heart. He is hooked. It's just a matter of time, just reeling him in. The Holy Spirit's got him. And I'm waiting for the change of Instagram things from smoking things to praising Jesus. Why? Because one mom said, I'm going to put 200 bucks into this kid's life. We talk about partnering with God and we can sometimes over-spiritualize it, but the spiritual activity is practical. Something as minor as spending 200 bucks on a youth camp sponsorship. We actually, the first year we did sponsorships, we raised 6K, which was just beyond our minds at that time. So then when we came to next year, we were like $7,000. We're dreaming big. Church, you raised $12,000 that year. Which enabled us to not only cover all transportation costs, so the young people didn't have to spend a cent on it, gave us the ability to do a bunch of half um, sponsorships because we like to create ownership around that. But then we were able to print off some full sponsorships and go knock on some random's door and go, hey man, let me invite you to youth camp. Someone else has paid for you. There's something about pioneering something possible with someone's finance that is incredible. And it's not non-spiritual activity. This is a very spiritual thing. Prayer is not the only spiritual activity you can do to push back darkness. In fact, as a, I'm going to quote Augustine again, and he says, pray as though everything depended on God and work as though everything depended on you. Pray as though everything depended on God and work as though everything depended on you. Get up, Work hard, invest your, into your son, invest into your daughter, go and serve on a production team. We'll get to that plug in a second. Uh, <laughs> but see and work and then pray as if none of it mattered and like only God can do it. Give and pray hard into the Spirit, seeing the fresh wind of the Spirit come and water our land. But then give into it and believe and stand in faith and see what's possible through something as practical as money because we're gonna take something as material as money and we're gonna submit it in the hands of a father. And as something as simple as $200 may be the seed of eternity in someone's heart. Our finance can make something possible that would otherwise be impossible. It can pioneer it. It is spiritual partnership with God in his mission. So when we're talking about architectural evangelism, we're not just talking about making our building nicer because we'd like to. We're talking about the footprint of our life being what's going to be the very thing that testifies to God's goodness. Pastor Dan O'Farrell said this morning, the building speaks something. What is it saying about our value here? If we're expanding, what if we're growing? What if we're putting, putting new things in? We're actually creating the very foundation for the next generation to jump off. And so we're believing and we're saying, it might be, it's maybe a hundred bucks. 
But man, a hundred bucks, the size of a man's hand could be the very thing to set up the rainstorm for someone's eternity. And it's that sense of, man, an act of finance can lead your heart, can reflect your response and can pioneer possible.